1: Comment and share. Go for it. Good. Uh,
0: I'm being mobile in the middle of a storm, so if I sound terrible, you know what's going on. For service here, most of the power is knocked out. So if you have any drops of communication on my side, CJ is uh, handling the airwaves. And if I drop off, CJ will pick up. Uh, I do not want to cancel this interview. It's very important. Going the world, the crazy shenanigans with, uh, with Israel, with North Korea, uh, with uh, just, just insanity and the duplicity of the West uh, being uh, at the forefront of it all. I have back with us a very, 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 very special guest. We all love him. We love his work.
1: Uh, and it's an honor to have him back. Saker, uh, welcome back to uh, Rogue Money Radio. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me.
1: Great. Well, we're excited to have you back on, and apologize for some of the technical uh, difficulty today, but unfortunately, it's one of those variables that's out of our control. <laughs> but it, I completely agree with V that it's a very important time uh, to discuss a lot of the geopolitical things that are happening right now uh, in the in the in the world, and want to. Uh, get your insights. You know, we, we recently watched the U.S. Uh, move the embassy into Jeru- Jerusalem. We witnessed the administration pulling out of the Iran uh, nuclear uh, treaty or the agreement that was signed. Uh, wh- where would you like to begin, Saker? There's just so much to talk about.
2: These are all equally bad developments. So pick, pick a bad development and we can discuss it. They're all pretty terrible.
1: Right. Well, let's go ahead and let's start. With the, uh, the, the Iran, the nuclear deal, we're watching a lot of the European nations really attempt to persuade, well, attempted to persuade Trump to stay in that. And right now, it's really leading to a lot of isolation of the United States, Saker.
2: Yeah, when actually, come to think of it, these are all linked topics uh, in reality. And yes, they're leading the U.S. to isolation. I think what's happening, and which is really uh, both distressing and, and amazing in a way, is that uh, Trump clearly, clearly has only one agenda right now, is to get APAC and the rest of the Israel lobby. Uh, he's trying to appease them, and therefore he's going even further than any European nation would. Uh, we see that with the deal with Iran, we see that with the move of the, of the embassy. Uh, The entire rhetoric right now is so, so ridiculously pro-Israeli. Nikki Haley yesterday was, you know, uh, reading the Riot Act to the entire Security Council. Uh, Basically, I I think it's a completely misguided and and it will be a failed attempt at appeasing uh, the neocons and the Israel lobby in the United States. But that's all that's left of the Trump administration. There's nothing else in terms of policies left. So all of that is explained by the very same factor. And it's paradoxical, because when the Democrats in power, you would have thought that the neocons you know, were having a, a lot of influence. But I think what happened is this, is that uh, the Democratic leadership knew that they basically had, that they looked better, that they were closer to the Israel lobby, that they basically had their support. Whereas Trump, being hammered at home by a never-ending stream of attacks by the media, for instance, uh, is basically desperate, so he's going overboard. He's going way further than any neocons in the in the um, Clinton, um, Obama administration would have done. So we're seeing uh, really an administration gone completely crazy.
1: Yeah, and it's a little bit difficult to understand. You know, we, you know, there was a little bit of of a sign of optimism with a perhaps a new North Korea resolution with the South. And then all of a sudden, the timing around it, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? What What? I know, obviously, that Trump had promised this going through the campaign as candidate Trump. Um, you know, they keep with this rhetoric that by doing this, by making this de- decision, it's going to lead to a peaceful Middle East. And, and I don't, frankly, I don't see that, Saker, at all.
2: Well, first of all, the, the, the South, the, the Korean development had nothing to do with Trump. Uh, what happened was, is that, here's how I explain it, uh, the South Koreans, and I think the entire region, got so freaked out when Trump th- said he would send three aircraft carrier battle groups, and, you know, the media started leaking stories about, you know, taking out the North Korean leadership, using tactical news, and good, knows what kind of nonsense, that the South Koreans, who used to be very compliant allies, went, screw that, uh, we need to do something about it. So that's, as you remember, You know, the first discussion about going together north and south uh, to the Olympics. And after that, they had more and more contacts. I think this is not at all a case of Trump getting credit for his tough stance. His tough stance got him exactly nothing other than the horror of his allies in Asia. It's the South Koreans who said uh, what maybe the Europeans will do. I'm very dubious, but I can't say never, which is uh, our, you know, our overlord, our master has gone crazy and if we don't take things in our own hands and start having some influence on what's happening, we're going to lose it all. And I think the, the yeah. South Koreans stepped in. And all, North, uh, all Trump did right now is resume the threats, resume nonsense. I, I heard that Pompeo said that the North Koreans should hand their nuclear weapons over to the U.S. storage facility in Tennessee. I mean, what are these people talking about? That, um, that is insanity this is complete insanity so really uh, what the, the the positive development in in uh, in the, on the korean peninsula i credit the south koreans for first first and foremost and then the north and then the uh, i think the, re- the regional allies who everybody freaked out and um, i don't think this is headed trump all he's doing is sabotaging it right now
1: very interesting um, but it's sacred. that but,
0: ahead, but, that's, that's part of the 5d chess that's being played it's 5d
1: chess
2: I lost you. I couldn't hear after 5D
1: chess. (laughs) He he was laughing Saker, about the the aspect, the angle that many are alluding to that this is in fact more 5D chess as far as the grand scheme of things being played in the background.
2: No, absolutely. I, I totally think there's overwhelming logical evidence to say that there's absolutely no no chess happening at all. It's not even. It's below level of checkers. It's really pathetic. It's simply straightforward, <laughs> abject ab- attempts to appease the neocons, and 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 that's about it. There's nothing else to look tough.
1: Right, and yep. and and in regards to the recent developments in. You know, there's, there's lots of speculation in regards to the fact that the Iranians are threatening to release the secret, you know, payments that were made and, and trying to give some reason for the decision being reached into the withdrawal. And it's kind of ironic now how we witness Germany really trying to pivot towards Russia to try to get Russia to help interject, to try to influence like they did in Syria to kind of shift the things away from the events Uh, that potentially could be escalating uh, with with Iran and Israel, uh, Saker?
2: Well, the Europeans, to be honest, I have no hope whatsoever left for their, you know, um, morality, dignity, common sense, self-interest. But there's one quality that I still hope might kick in, which is greed. And uh, the U.S. pressure on Europe is costing Europe multi-million dollars all over the place. I mean, be it the Russian sanctions, uh, the threat with Iran now in theory, you could see the u s. retaliating against uh, European producers. so the, the 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 base financial greed is now waking up the Europeans, but you know, I don't think they're gonna achieve much. All it's gonna take is is for Trump and the u s. to push harder and they're gonna roll back over again. I don't see a leader in Europe that would have the, you know the the, the abilities to actually, act like a De Gaulle would have done, or even like a Mitterrand. And uh, as for the release of information that the Iranians are saying, you know, the information doesn't matter, uh, because the media is in lockstep. So, for instance, you have the complete, the ultimate buffoonery of the Skripal case in England, and it had absolutely zero impact. I mean, the media pretended like it just didn't exist. Then there is the Duma, um, so-called chemical attack in, in Syria, where the Russians actually produced the victims, so-called victims of that event, and the media ignored it again. So I think the Iranians right now, if they could, you know, have an incredible amount of evidence against anybody in the U.S., as long as the media is here to play the role to uh, obfuscate it all, it's not going to go anywhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely correct, absolutely correct. Uh, What are your thoughts, Aker, in regards to the impacts. Now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, these proposed sanctions on Iran, you know, they may have worked at that time period. However, the recent years, China and the Iran have been working diligently to change their economic system, change their financial systems to uh, to make sure to ensure that these sanctions wouldn't wouldn't happen. So My question to you is, what happens with these trades? Does this further isolate the U.S. uh, in regards to uh, the dollar, in regards to trade? Um, I I don't see the objective of doing this at this time, Saker.
2: Um, I'm not an economist, so you might want to take what I say with a big grain of salt or a pound of salt. Uh, But I don't think the purpose of the sanction is to actually achieve uh, any other political objective, than to say that we've engaged in very tough sanctions. Um, the general rule with sanctions, my understanding, is that countries who get sanctions initially are impacted by that negatively, they get hurt, then two things happening. First, they start developing local capabilities. Secondly, corruption being what it is, they find more or less open channels to still, still try to reacquire and maybe at a greater profit. There's a profit to be made here. Uh, Dealing at risk with countries under sanctions can also be a a source of kickbacks for those willing to do that. So, sanctions eventually um, are not necessarily bad for the country being uh, sanctioned. They certainly were a blessing for Russia. Now, the sanctions on Iran were much harsher than uh, my understanding is. Again, I'm not a specialist. My understanding is that the sanctions on Iran were much, much, much harsher than the sanctions on Russia. And I cannot tell you, I I I don't know how the... I I know generally that the Iranian economy is doing pretty well. I hear it from people who were there, but I can't uh, give you a detail of how Iran responded to to uh, sanctions.
1: Right. Well. Uh, okay. Well, in regards to right up leading to the the events, whenever Trump made the announcement, I believe that very same evening we witnessed uh, Israel claim that Iran had uh, launched uh, missiles, whatever, and 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 then they retaliated there in Syria. It was interesting, Saker, that Netanyahu had recently been with Putin, was he what what was that conversation? Do you think that in part it was regarding to, hey, look, let us have more influence over Iran? Uh, what are your what are your thoughts in regards to that? I, I know you don't have a crystal ball or anything like that, but what, what's shaping this influence right now between Israel and Russia?
2: Well, that's a very complex and multi layered question. Um I I think we need to separate the perception of what's happening, and what the politicians say, and what's really going on. First of all, you have to realize that there is a pro-Israel lobby inside Russia, and um, and anti-Israeli feelings are fairly uh, limited in amount in Russia. Um, so as a result, the Israel lobby in Russia is less, it doesn't act the same way as it is in the United States, and. Netanyahu has been very successful in exploiting for instance the fact that Jews and Russians have a common uh, past suffering um, uh, at the hand of the Nazis Um, there's a solidarity over World War II which is an important topic in both countries so he's been very successful and I think what he did he basically went uh, to try to get a deal with the Russians on Syria it is unclear to me what the outcome of the if there was a deal first of all um, I don't have a reason to believe that a deal was Made, but if there was a deal made, which is quite possible, I don't know what's the the outline of that deal because that involves a number of very complex issues. I mean, there's the deal, the issue of Hezbollah, there's the issue of the uh, the Syrians, the Iranians, the other pro-Iranian militias inside Syria, um, the Israel's attempt at having the United States strike at at Israel, which is totally different from Israel striking at at Iranian militias inside uh, Syria proper. Um, These are complicated topics, which I think, my guess is that Putin and Netanyahu both do not want to direct Russian-Israeli confrontation, and they're trying to sort of signal to the other what their red lines are. I don't know to what degree they're successful. I don't think Israel is a partner that can be trusted. And I personally deplore what I would call a lukewarm policy of Russia towards Israel. I think that's a misguided policy. But um, it's a very complex thing, so it's it's hard to judge without having all the facts.
1: Right, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, in your opinion, do you foresee any other type of escalation occur? Do you think that, that with this recent announcement, it green-lighted uh, Israel to be much more aggressive with Syria and and Iran? <sighs>
2: Uh, first of all, I, I, I don't know for that Russia greenlighted anything, be it in Syria or in, uh, even less so with Iran. Um, all that's the, the clear, uh, there has been one thing where Russia clearly backed down, which is this, not even the sale of S-300s, but the statements about a possible sale of S-300s um, to Syria. We clearly saw, I think, the deputy chief of staff of Russia and foreign minister Lavrov saying that now we don't have the moral obligation not to sell. Which I agree, you know, if you want to be technical, that's not an affirmative statement or a promise that they would sell. But that's certainly what it appeared to be. And these guys know what they were doing. And Russia backtracked on that. Um, Then there was another instance previously, um, the Israeli strike that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where Russia got really very angry that it was during the crisis with the U.S. And Netanyahu had to call uh, Putin. Clearly, in what appears, there's some evidence that the Israeli ambassador got summoned and got an earful from uh, the Russian foreign ministry. The Russians were upset by that. So I think uh, Netanyahu traveled to Moscow to try to, um, well, obviously press for all his agenda. We know what that is. So yes, he certainly did press for it. What the Russians agreed to agree on and agree to disagree on is, as of now, unclear to me. I just happen to think that the S-300s um, are not the most important um, sign of Russia's behavior. And I do think that there are other systems that the Russians could have already sold uh, to Syria, or given, I don't know what the financial details are, which is the Panzers, the combined missile and gun uh, mobile air defense system. I think it would be more effective even for Russia to increase the number of those on the S-300s, which are tricky for a number of reasons. They are not the best for engaging uh, low-flying cruise missiles. They have a very long range. Um, they're not even; des- they're really designed to engage other objectives. It would make an attack on uh, Syria much harder. That's true, but that means shooting down aircraft, Israeli aircraft over Lebanon or Israel. I mean I could see why the Russians would not feel comfortable with that. I think their biggest mistake was to even mention those S three hundreds. I think the real big mistake of the Russians was ever to say we are even considering giving S three hundreds to Syria. I think they should have not done that and instead provided the kind of systems that they did provide, but I think just in much bigger numbers.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Saker and uh, what what other things I'm, what what else is currently on your radar? Uh, what other things have you been uh, writing about? You know, obviously our listeners listeners follow your website. Um, I was looking through some of the articles that you have listed there. Uh, what, what else is on your radar?
2: Uh, well, the new Russian government, uh, which I find mildly disappointing, and it doesn't, in my opinion, send a very good signal. But it's not an apocalypse either. Again, it's sort of Russia right now is going through a, let's call it nicely, a gray period where, it is unclear exact I mean, we had we had a much firmer Russia. Um, let's see, about a month ago, or or or, or certainly in, um, during the crisis against the U.S., where unambiguous signals were sent. And then um, once there were those rumors that once Putin would come to power with the mandate of the people, he would finally purge the fifth columnist element in the government. And it's just not happening now. There are a number of reasons. And I will publish an article before the end of the week that I explain that, why this might not... There is a rationale that can explain that. Even if I don't necessarily disagree with some of the arguments explaining what happened, I'm certainly not thrilled. So I would say a lack of thrill of what's happening inside Russia is one of the things. It's, and For instance, it's going to be a continuation of a probably very similar uh, internal uh, economics. I am not thrilled about the fact that Putin embarked and he announced a, um, a very ambitious reform program for Russia using the same team. Um, it's just doesn't, it's not very inspiring. So I had to write about that without going to either one of the extremes. Some people say that, you know, Putin can do, never do anything wrong. And others say that, you know, he's about to sell out uh, the Donbass, Syria, Iran and the rest of the planet. He's basically completely collapsed. I think neither one is true. But we're having a, a transition period with with legitimate question marks. Is how, how I would characterize it. Right,
1: absolutely. And there's no doubt that if you take a look at the 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 influence, the ins- influence variable that is still there with China, with Russia, and their their alignment with the the new Silk Road, uh, the economic development plans that's there. I mean, if you think of all the sanctions that have occurred against them, and the, and the reforms, are are they based upon uh, economic growth or, or political, uh, more political matters?
2: I think it's a combination of both. There is a clear political will, particularly in China, who clearly ha- has a heavy central political involvement in economic decisions. And um, there, it appears to be that the, the Chinese uh, business community is maybe not directed by, but certainly puts political... <laughs> China as a country puts political outcomes above immediate profit. In Russia, unfortunately, it's much more complicated. Russia is less sovereign than China. Russia still has a financial system, a banking system, which has been built during the 1990s. Um, Russia is what China might have been if the Tiananmen Square uh, had succeeded. It, it, It worked in Russia, it didn't in China, so the Chinese retained much more... A sovereignty over the, over their decisions than the Russians. The Russians having a much more, uh, the, the internal struggle is much stronger. Hence, you see Russia zigzagging in a way that China would not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. very interesting what just played out, and and I'm hoping mm-hmm. that uh, Russia does have some ability to, to influence uh, kind of the same thing that occurred with Syria. Uh, if they could also do that in Iran to help influence uh, it, you know, it's amazing when you look at the, the administration, there's a lot of concern in regards to who Trump has surrounded himself uh, with, uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, mm-hmm. with the recent nomination. What, what are your thoughts on those individuals?
2: Well, that's for, on the U.S. side, it's pretty clear that these are all um, essentially agents for Israel. So the U.S. policy right now is basically set by the Likud in Israel. Right? There's, no, there's not much wiggling room. Beyond maybe a possible, um, I, I have to say the way the strikes were conducted um, by the U.S. Uh, the first time around indicates to me that there was opposition to truly crazy plans inside the U.S. administration, inside particularly the U.S. military, is where my guess is where the resistance is 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 happening, um, and and it will be it will be very interesting to see. If the U.S. military can again, as it happened in the past, prevent a U.S. attack on Iran, because it's crystal clear what the Israelis want. The Israelis um, want the U.S. to do their dirty job for them. That's that's how they ha- the, the real power is there. They have an effective air force, an average navy, and a very bad ground forces in terms of warfighting capabilities. So that's why option one for them is to have the Muslims, Shia and Sunni, kill each other. Or to trigger, you know, um, separatism in every country that's around them, or to get Uncle Sam to do a dirty job for them. I mean, this is the plan. So the real question is, can the U.S. military, does the U.S. military have enough weight still in today's uh, administration to say, Mr. President, that's crazy, we're not going to do that. Because I really do think that there's no winnable scenario for the U.S. in case of a U.S. attack on, on Iran that would have tremendous consequences. I think that would be, a, a, for any sane U.S. politician, that is an insane kind of, uh, of, uh, of proposition. Unfortunately, that's exactly what the likes of Bolton and the rest of them are pushing for.
0: You know, Seiko, uh, let me chime in here real quick. Uh, what are your thoughts on the newly elected or soon-to-be-elected war goddess, Gina Haskell, and how that's, not, how that's playing into this whole entire thing as well?
2: I don't have many thoughts, because is she really worse than the others? I mean, it's, it's like looking at, uh, it's just more of the same. What it tells me is yeah. that we have basically wall-to-wall neocon nutcases. Uh, the yeah. sanest man in the White House is, okay, Trump, and by some reports, I'm not necessarily endorsing that, but I can't deny that it's consistent, Mattis. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's true, but 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 it appears that these are the two last saint people left in the White House. That's really scary. So appointing a person like that to that position, I don't know. Is, is, is Pompeo's uh, secretary of state any better? I'm not sure. It's all the same absolute nightmare. Right.
0: And what are your thoughts about this whole recent thing of uh, the whole U.S. embassy move? Uh, everybody's in solidarity. Now Jerusalem all of a is, is now is now the capital of Israel. What, what What's your takeaway on that?
2: Well, I wrote an, art, an, an, an article about that saying that basically this is the ultimate proof that truly the U.S. has turned into a colony. Because in the past there were arguments, very good arguments that could have been made that, you know, wh- whack the dog, you know, who's the tail, who's the dog. Noam Chomsky, for instance, uh, made many arguments explaining that you know, the U.S. is using Israel as a kind of a pit bull that it can unleash on its enemies one it once. The Israelis are also here supporting U.S. covert operations in Central America or Asia, etc. There could be an argument made that this is more of a partnership than, you know, a Zionist occupation government. But I think with the latest, uh, when when we're dealing with policies, we're so obviously, completely um, you know, in an opposition with U.S. national interest, I think we have to come to the conclusion that, yes, you do really have an occupation government. The White House is now completely controlled, uh, with no nuance in there, with, uh, by, you know, essentially uh, APAC, the ADL, and all the neocon crazies. The last, again, little, I don't know that for a fact, and I asked some well-informed friends they are dubious about it, But I have to say, the behavior of the U.S. military during the ordered attack on Syria still gives me some hope that there are people above the rank of colonel. I'm sure they exist under the rank of colonel, but there are people in the rank uh, of general who are, you know, still um, holding out for the last remnants of sanity.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm sure 90s, they exist under the rank of colonel. I, I, that, there's not in my mind. I remember the the kind of people that I studied with in, in the late '90s. These were patriotic, sane, and well-educated officers. So, um, I just hope that the some of them made it through the what I call the general barrier and can now do what happened last time. And last time, you know, whoever did it, I'm grateful to that man. You know, the the strike on um, on Syria was executed in such a manner that it. C- the outcome was probably not as, um, I don't think they predicted it would be as ineffective as it has been. But certainly the U.S. military and Sencom did not give it an honest effort, because if they wanted to, they could do way better than what happened, regardless of uh, Syrian or Russian air defense systems. They really went for the minimal option, and I think people were surprised that even ancient Syrian equipment could deal with that minimal option. But it's important to understand that what the Syrians faced was a predictable trajectory for the cruise missiles. It was a minimal option. The Syrians were an ideal, that's almost a turkey shoot for them. The Russians weren't involved at all, which it was clear that um, that, that the missiles wouldn't be going through russian, Russian-controlled russian airspace, I mean now engagement radar. And I think that it's important to not go to the extreme that some people say that the, you know the U.S. military is completely incompetent. No, 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 no. If they wanted to hit hard, they could have. The point is, they did. They said they would, but they didn't. And the fact that they didn't gives me still some hope. Got it. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, CJ, go for it, man.
1: Yeah, no, those are great points, Saker, and and, uh, just, you know, really appreciate it. uh, Because here in the U.S., there is, uh, we have a couple of different things going on, and and Saker, I want to ask you because there is a I call it more of a phenomenon that's occurring here and there's a a group of apparently uh, you know intelligence that operate under anonymous by uh, by the name of Q and and, and has a oh, I heard about that. and and has a pretty significant following and pretty much anyone that kind of counters their narrative which is you know trust the plan trust Sessions – all these things are, that are occurring. And, and anyone that tries to counter that narrative, it's kind of almost immediately, you know, you're shunned, you're shut out completely. Uh, they're not willing to grip anything. So my question is that in regards to that, do you, is there any, because we want to be optimistic as well. Um, we want to be optimistic and, and hope that things are going on. But there's, unfortunately, there's so many signs pointing to um, more of the same. Uh, you know, more of the same. That if if it's you know we we voted for an independent uh, with Trump and we got a George Bush, basically, uh, that's kind of my concerns in regards to what's happening right now. Right now, what we're witnessing. Um, do you foresee any type of shift? Is there is what 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 keeps you optimistic? Obviously, you mentioned a little bit around the Syria strike. Is there anything else that gives you any? reason for optimism regarding this administration, the foreign policy of what's happening?
2: Um, yes and no. Uh, first of all, about a Q QAnon, I have not been following that very closely. I, I Of course, I, you know, people emailed me, I looked at it, and I immediately figured out that that's not something I want to follow because I'm absolutely convinced that the U.S. is engaged in what's called strategic psychological operations. And and I mm-hmm. see it very much on my blog. Um, these are people who... Who can argue both sides of an argument in order to discredit, um, you know, a well-balanced, nuanced argument? And I've seen that many times happening. Oh, I hear something on the line here. Can you hear me? Can I continue speaking? Yeah, you're speaking? good. Yep, I can. hear okay. your lines, clear. Um, regarding the Trump administration, I compl- well, no, actually, disagree with you. I don't think you got a a, a George Bush. I think you got a Hillary which is even worse. I think, I think the vast majority of people in the U.S. who voted for Trump really tr- voted for a person outside the system that would clear the swamp, had no interest in, in foreign interventions. You know, make America first meant, you know, help the people here, bring the money and the troops home, etc. What we got is Hillary. And now, uh, you know, with Bolton in, we got Hillary on steroids. I mean, I don't think she could possibly do worse than he did. All that this bought us, though, is about a year of time or more. Always remember that Hillary wanted a uh, no-fly zone over Syria as part of her electoral program. Trump gave us at least that break. That's important. So it wasn't a wasted you know, opportunity. It was just a disappointing one. And no, I don't have any hopes um, for that administration left at all. But uh, I like dialectics, and, I'll, and I always th- like to remind people that, you know, every phenomenon contains in itself... Uh, it's, it's, it's antithesis or it's, uh, you know, it's a reaction. And what we have here, and I think that's the big mistake of the neocons, is now their presence is so arrogantly obvious that I think more people will become aware of that. Uh, just like the Europeans, just out of greed, start realizing that that subservience to the empire is going to cost them a lot and a lot of money. So, the neocons are good in one thing, they're destroying the empire from within. They're bent on one thing, is that who they, can they take with them and how much damage will they inflict before they're eventually shown to the door? Because I'm convinced they will be. I mean, the, the, you cannot, these people are destroyers, they can wreck any country they can take under their control, but they can't build anything. That's their arrogance and their pure hubris who makes them think that they're here forever. They're not. And the sides of cracks are all over the place. One, which I think is, is is playing a crucial role now, is I think that essentially the U.S. For- armed forces, and that's been going on for a while, are pretty close to useless. Um, the only thing that still functions, I think, very effectively is uh, the nuclear triad and the U.S. submarine fleet. But if you look at all the money spent on the rest, none of that really, um, you know, helps the U.S. promote political objectives. Uh, it was a failure against uh, against North Korea. That threat was completely hollow. I don't think the Iranians are going to back down for one second, nor, neither are the Russians. And even Hezbollah, which is a fairly small in size force, you know, they're willing to take on the entire empire, including the U.S. of the if needed. So the fact that U.S. doesn't deter anymore, for instance, is is a direct consequence of the kind of insane policies that were put in place over the past 10, 20 years that have been degrading the U.S. military power while spending unheard of amount of money on, or basically, it's a gigantic money machine for those who are running it. So I think, no, I don't see. I don't think the system here to to, to wrap up is reformable. I think the only outcome here is regime change, and I hope it's not going to be a violent one. But I don't think that the people who are in power now will let go. We clearly saw that with the rea- look how they reacted to the election of Trump. They are not going to take anybody else. If you you know you name a candidate X, it could be a rat, Paul or whoever you support. Any guy who's not part of the system, if he ever was to be elected, would be faced with a, an eternal coup just like Trump was. The logical conclusion is never mind who's the president. You need regime change.
1: Right. Yep. Yep. Well said. Well said. And by that, I Very mean well really said.
2: a change in political system. I mean right. essentially what's called impolitely a revolution in terms of a change completely. The political structure of this country needs to change. I
0: agree 1,000%. We have a murderous foreign policy and a
2: criminal government, yes.
0: taker.
2: yes, I completely and agree with that and, and uh and uh and peop and it it will become impossible to hide it. The key thing here is that the media the u s media is lying in such a way that the Soviet media would never have dared. I mean for a while in my right. life, I was reading the Soviet propaganda for a living, so i I know very well, you know, even what the most ideologically obscure and bigoted communist propaganda sounded like in the 80s. And I think the U.S. media is way worse. So that's the key thing now. But even that is changing. Look at the way they are starting to censor the YouTube, the the Internet, what Facebook is doing. They're trying to now, again, crush. Instead of realizing that they can't forever live off lies, they're trying to silence the opposition. That's what they always do. And it's not going to work. It's going to reach a a boiling point where there's going to start being visible cracks. And I think an attack on Iran will trigger that. I really do.
0: Yes. Absolutely correct. One thousand percent. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the, the incredulous insanity where you could have district attorneys in the state of New York, you know, federal attorneys saying, hey, you know what? 9-11 9-11 victims families, you can sue Iran because Iran was part of 9-11. <laughs> I mean, the insanity. I, I'm living in the twilight zone. And I know yes, that but, Trump is there. And, and, go ahead.
2: No, no, go ahead. Finish, please.
0: No, I know that Trump is there, but I know we're not getting the full breadth and height and width of what would happen if Hillary Clinton was in power. There's no doubt about it. The only fear is what comes after Trump? And that's the question, that's the, the $200 trillion question that's weighing on everybody's mind who's awake to this sort of stuff.
2: I can only agree with you, and, and I don't, you know, I, I could not have predicted the fall of the Soviet Union the way it happened. All, I, yeah. all I'm deeply convinced of is that there is a crisis ahead that the system will collapse in a fairly not-too-distant future. I don't think we're continuing um, but what form that could take? I mean, the easy, the the most likely one possible scenario is uh, a, a, a an uh, overseas military defeat of, of 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 first order of magnitude. And I think this is the one thing that they are semi-aware of, because one of the reasons for the restraint, I think, of the U.S. military um, in April was the fact that they knew they knew for a fact that if they really did. As some were advocating, and as Trump announced on TV, quote, punish the Russians and the Syrians and the Russians. My knowledge is that the Russian airplanes with the tide of missiles to sink US uh, surface ships were actually in the air on, on that night. And I think uh, the Russians probably told the Americans that they would be, and I think they got a deal. So the last, again, bastion of, of, of rationality, I think, is the US military. If we were living if I was optimist by nature, I would say I hope for a military coup. I think it would be the best thing that could happen for this country is the military taking over and getting some kind of government of national uh, you know of national unity to to first of all, clearly a purge is needed. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, to take right. the reins of power away from those who hold it now, remove their finger from the from the nuclear button. That's also a priority. And then engage in uh, basically cleaning house inside. That would be the ultimate scenario. I don't think, and I don't know, that this is possible in the United States today. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not competent to say.
0: Got it, very well said, very well said. Sacred. thank you so much for joining us. Uh, any last words? Uh, could you also plug your website on how people could follow you? Go for it, sir.
2: Uh, could you repeat that? I couldn't hear you, I'm sorry. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, any, any closing comments? Um, keep an eye on... Uh, let, let's see if they... I, I guess the key next test is will Israel succeed in either baiting the Iranians in such a way that it will give them a pretext to strike at Iran proper, or will the Israelis actually succeed in uh, having Trump strike on Iran? I think this is the next... And unfortunately, I think it's probably going to happen. But let's see if that actually does happen.
0: Very well said. And also plug your website, sir, go for
2: it. It's thesacred.is as in Iceland. That's where you can find um, what I write and what my guests write. They're very good, too.
0: Fantastic. Saker, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You are a wellspring and a delight. Uh, When it comes to uh, strategic uh, information, the entire geostrategic chessboard, you laid out so very well. And all the nuances that go on behind the scenes, we want to thank you so much. Uh, We can't thank you enough, man. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for your very kind words. These are complicated times, and it's, it's good to have allies. So thank you so much.
0: Definitely, without a doubt. CJ, take it away.